This is week three, Sticky Faith. Title is Identity. So we're going to be talking about that, how t- teenagers kind of form their identity. But just the last couple of weeks, the first week, um, I had a lot of fun with you guys. We, we talked about kind of laying the overall goal as parents. Our job as parents is, or slash the adult is to help our kids transition from adolescence to responsible adulthood. We kind of talked about that week one. And then last week, uh, Janice came, which was great. Did you guys get to use any of the tools that Janice you know, talk, did you, have you done the two choices yet? Have you drank a lot of water? Successful, not successful, medium successful? So, okay, that was week one, week two, week three. Oh, I, yeah. Oh, I remember what I was gonna say. Uh, week one, we talked about, uh, <laughs> week one, we talked about the bridge, you know, kind of our is to kind of get them from one side to the other. Uh, week two, Janice brought that tree with the roots and the river. I love those images. Um, and so week three, we're just gonna talk about identity. Um, how they kind of form it, what that looks like. So there's two things, two kind of main ideas we're going to talk about tonight. As you know, like week one, we they're all changing. Their brains are changing. We talked about that. And so part of them changing is figuring out who they are. And so they're literally kind of trying on identities like a pair of jeans. So they, they, they leave the house and they're, they, they have an identity. They kind of see how it works in the world. So like with this group of friends, they act this way and then maybe at home they act this way and they're just kind of trying to figure out who they are. Sometimes it seems like they're not, they're just different. Like maybe the hair changes or the clothes change or friends, you know, kind of act differently around different friends. That's because they're just trying to kind of internalize who they are. And so our role or our job for week three is to one, is make sure we understand the process of identity formation. And that's kind of, I think on your sheet, the process. And then the second thing is we want to make sure we're creating environments that supports their discovery and commitment uh, to that process. So those are kind of the two main things we're going to talk about. So we're just going to walk through the process. Spiritual identity. Uh, this Henry J.M. Nowen uh, says there are three ways that we seek to answer the questions, uh, who am I? The first one is, I am what I do. Uh, I am what I control. I am what others say about me. Those are kind of three ways that we as humans, especially teenagers and adults, we kind of determine who we are. The only problem is, is none of those answer really the question of who I am. None of those are the, none of those are the right question. Um, because if we come at it from, I guess, a gospel lens, we want to look at it of uh, your child has been created, redeemed, and called to live as God's precious child, God's precious and beloved child. And so our identity is proclaimed through the gospel of Jesus Christ and what God says about us. So that's where we get our identity. And so when we ask the question, I am what I do, oftentimes that can lead to performance, right? When we think about I am what I do or I am what, other, what I control, which we really don't control much if you really think about it. I am what others say about me. Uh, that's just a, not a great way to form who we are. But when we look to the, the unchanging, all-loving God who says, no, I've called you, I've redeemed you, you're my precious child. There's something about that, if we can get that really grounded into their souls, that their identity can be formed around that, who God says they are. So that's a really, really important part of, of understanding who we are. And so they may be uh, good at many things, or one thing, or not very many things. They may have gifts and talents and abilities, uh, beneath all of those gifts and talents and abilities, each and every child is more than the sum of their abilities or personalities. At their core, each is a beloved child of God. I love the song by Lauren Dangle. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. And I am more than just the sum of every high and every low. 
remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. And basically, you know, the song's talking about Jesus is the one who tells you who you are. And so as parents, we've been given this tremendous gift of these kids. Our kids are such a great gift. And we're kind of this somewhat flawed dispenser of grace. And we want to help them see that their identity is grounded in Jesus. Here's kind of the, just wanted to say that our identity is grounded in Christ. And so now let's kind of walk through a little bit of the kind of the, I guess the path. And so most most of us probably grew up with this is our path, high school, uh, maybe some college, right? And then, uh, then we got a job. And then uh, maybe we got married, right? And then after that, we had kids. And that's fairly common. That's a fairly, you know, pretty safe bet. Now, it could, could go in different orders, right? That might not be everybody. But at the conference I was at in November, they talked about this. And then the new path is, um, so nowadays, they've got like something called a gap year. Um, there's, uh, maybe there's before job or after college, there's people are living together, right? Um, maybe there's an internship in there. Uh, what else we got? Maybe they travel kind of all over traveling. Uh, maybe they, yeah, they live at home. <laughs> There's more uh, post-college students living at home than ever, ever any other time in history. Um, and then maybe they've got some roommates. Remember, because adolescence is extending, okay? Uh, so after high school and college, there's more time in between. And so there's just more things that they're doing. So the path that used to be this linear path is now kind of this, all over the place where they swirl around and all over and find, end up somewhere. And so what's happening is there's a lot of shame uh, because they don't feel like they're, do, they're walking the right path because there's a lot of assumptions or expectations of this is, this is what you do. You go to high school, you go to college, you get a job, you get married and you have kids. That's kind of this underlying current of what they should do. And None of this is right or wrong. It's just this is kind of the new reality. And so um, in this pathway, this, there's a, we heard a few students even share about those expectations of this is what I'm supposed to do. And so um, it's interesting. So on your paper, if you look at the, I think you have a one, two, three. Yeah, identity one, two, three. So the first one, there is, there's three things that these are the big questions that a young person is asking. And it kind of goes within here. Um, identity is number one, belonging is number two, and purpose is number three. So in this whole process, you know, you, you, obviously identity formation, there's a lot of psychology into it, but at the surface level where we're probably going to swim the most is, you know, your family history is a part of it, who you guys are as mom and dad, um, their upbringing, church, all of those things kind of go into the paint bucket that's gonna, that they're going to use to paint their identity with. And so these three big questions. And so identity is who I am is often met with shame because they don't know or they can't follow in the path that was before them. So they're kind of starting off in this path with a little bit of shame because maybe there's some expectations. I remember I was subbing at, I think it was Southside or Wayne. I can't remember where I did a lot of subbing when I was a youth pastor because I just wanted to be around the students, around teenagers, kind of keep an idea of what student culture was like. 
And so I remember thinking, uh, some of them messing around, and I remember thinking, like, in my head, I'm like, man, do they just not care? Do they just want to be garbage guys the rest of their life? And in my head, I'm like, wait a minute. What's wrong with that? You know, I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong. My, my assumption was because my path was this way, that their path should be the same. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm probably not, not going to say that, <laughs> right? Because maybe their mom or dad are garbage guys or working McDonald's or whatever, whatever they're doing. It doesn't matter because that was my assumption. And so they feel those assumptions or their expectations through the world, through teachers, through uh, us as parents. And, it kind of, and I know, um, you know, Amy and I, are, we're, we're, our oldest is starting to look, consider colleges and we're just struggling because I think there's some, obviously there's some financial restraints, obviously, but also, wait, that's not, that's not what we, that's not how we did it. And we're like, wait, she's not, oh yeah, her name's Grace. <laughs> I'm me. And so there's just that kind of thing going on. So who I am is often met with shame because they can't follow the path before them. Belonging, it's kind of, it's kind of conditional. If only I could. So they kind of, there's this performance-based belonging that's kind of very prevalent in most social circles in schools and sports. If only I could shoot the hoops better. If only I could hit a home run. If only I could you know, talk better to girl, whatever it is, there's all this performance-based. And then purpose, impact, self-fulfillment. I can make something of myself, like I can do this. This is something I will make happen. And then enter Jesus and his goodness. And identity becomes the who is child of God in Christ, which is so important. Uh, the belong, I'll, I'll let you guys write. The identity is, the who is, I'm a child of God in Christ. So now that instead of thinking shameful because they can't follow a path, their identity is grounded in who, which is you're a child of God. It starts with there. And after that, it almost doesn't matter because their identity is grounded in Christ. So whatever path they go on, they're in Christ, right? That's, right? That's what's happening. So I kind of look at like, if you're, if you're trying to fly, you can't fly unless you're in the plane. So in, the pl in Christ, it doesn't matter where you go because you're in Christ. Your identity is grounded in Christ. And then the second belonging, fit, uh, where do I fit in, um, is not based on their, behavior, on, their, on their behavior, but based on his power. And I always like to say that you get the, you get the hug first. You get the hug first. Your, your picture on the fridge will never get taken down. <laughs> That's where you belong. So they belong to Jesus. They're in Jesus. They belong to Christ. And it's not based on their behavior. It's based on his power. Because the cross is what washed us clean and what allows us to be in Christ. So it's just like the, this is just the spiritual, these are the foundations. If we can help them, we can parent this way. We can make sure they understand, okay, your identity is in Jesus. Um, that can never change. I can never alter no matter what you do. It's not based on your behavior. Um, and then their purpose if, if, if um, they're in Christ and it's based on his power, then they're on mission with God. They always have purpose. They never have to wonder, what am I doing in this world? What's my, what's my purpose? Their purpose is to have an impact for Christ, whatever that looks like. If you're a lawyer, have an impact for Jesus. If you're a doctor, have an impact. if you're a pastor, same thing. Have an impact for Jesus. So I just love that when they come in, their identity, the belonging, and purpose is kind of through this lens of, you know, themselves or this conditional or, and then when we, when we come to, when we look through Jesus, it just changes everything. It just really does. I'm just, 
thankful for what Jesus does. And I think that's the key for our kids is just really helping them understand the gospel. And that's really what this is about. This is what the gospel does. It radically changes everything. I don't have slides this week. I'm sorry I was out Monday, Tuesday, but I didn't have time to make my slides. Um, so I went down to the resource wall and I pulled, the, we have, there's cards for each grade, uh, fifth grade, say fifth through twelfth, and I just kind of copied down a couple things. Um, and these are just kind of the questions they're asking. So in fifth grade, um, a student says, I got this. This is just extra, it's not a <laughs> Uh, and the question they have, do I have friends? Um, and our role as parents, engage their interests. And then on the card, it also says, how many weeks do you have left for graduation? So I just wanted to share that because those cards are really cool. If you wanted to, whatever grade you have, grab a card, take a look at it. it it's got some really great things. And it kind of tells you, like, during this, this grade, your theme for that year. So if you have a fifth grader, your theme, your role as a parent is to engage their interests. So if they're playing video games, sit down with them, play video games, or just ask them about the game. I hate video games, never was into that, even in youth ministry, but I always love to hear, okay, why are you doing that? What's, so I would just ask them questions about the game. Um, usually we're saying, get off, turn that thing off, get off of that, which is good. Yes, you should, there's boundaries, but I think if you step in there and just kind of, hey, why'd you, how's this work? Oh, mom, you don't need, no, really, why, is, why did you punch that guy? You know, whatever the game is. Why are you killing so many people or whatever? Um, it's, pretty, it's pretty fun. So let's say you have a, a ninth grader. Um, the, their ninth grader, the student says, this is me now. Uh, they, their, their question that they're kind of asking is, where do I belong? Uh, and uh, the parent's role is to mobilize their potential. So help them kind of figure out uh, where they can fill in or what they can do with whatever, whoever they say they are, uh, mobilize their potential. So just... Just wanted to throw, that's free. I just kind of added that later. So that's not really part of your sheet, but I thought it would be really good to plug our wall because we have it there. So grab some stuff. So after this, go downstairs, find your grade or grades and they're little cards and they're free, right? Yeah, free. <laughs> so good. Okay, so that's the process. This is kind of the process they're going through. Um, hopefully, they're, hopefully we're grounding their identity in Christ, helping them understand what that means. And that's just, that's just conversations at night, just... You know, um, asking them who, because they're kind of already front trying to figure that out. Um, you kind of putting our expectations, uh, having right expectations about the path they might take. Okay, so that's kind of the process. And all this time, uh, they're kind of forming who they are, right? That's kind of uh, what's going on there. Because they're still, remember we talked about developmentally, like their brains are, are developing well past college. And so a lot of that's still happening. So I think that's a good thing. And so now we go to, that's the process that they're taking. So what, how can we, the environment, we want to create an environment for this. So how can we create an environment um, for our, our students? Uh, and what does that mean? So I gave you a couple words in the sheet. Uh, treat as individuals, community matters. We'll just kind of walk through those. Okay, so the first one I put, uh, teach uh, each as individuals. Now, I don't know... How you parent up, not in your house, but I know for us, my kids, uh, they're only about two and a half years apart, and they are, they are complete opposites. They are just as far opposite as you can get. If one said red, the other would say green, or black, or whatever the opposite red is. 
I don't even know. But you, uh, like trying to select a movie. So I, I love like Friday nights, we, we do fast food. That's our fast food night or eat out night, whatever that is. Usually pizza or something. Then we watch a movie. That's just Friday night. That's what we do. But picking out a movie <laughs> because they're so different is impossible. I mean, it's, when, we, when we land on one, it's almost like, yeah, click it, go. Don't say anything else. Just go. If we can get it playing before somebody says anything, it's really good. Um, and so, and we've, know, we've seen that ever since they were little. And so with my oldest, a two by four wouldn't dissuade her. I mean, she was just very stubborn. I never hit my kids with two by four. I'm just saying. Uh, but my youngest, just looking at her funny and she's crying. So they're just different spirits. They have different giftings and different thoughts. And it's just fascinating because Amy and I, we, we're the same people. We didn't, you know, we're just us. <laughs> Anyway, so we, we try to just remember that. And so um, as you guys just think about, you know, teach as individuals, it's, it's never a good idea to compare students, right? You never, well, your sister does this. Why don't you? Uh, that's never good uh, because she's not her and she's not her. They're, they're different people. And so you've got to come out. I'm sure you guys have that. Do you guys know that with your boys? Some discipline works for this guy, other for this guy. And it's kind of you're customizing your, your discipline, your teaching, training, and up in righteousness, all those kinds of things. That's a good thing. So teach as individuals. Uh, use your community to d- help develop personal identity. So identity has both a personal, who I see myself as, and a communal dimension, who I am as, a, as connected to others. There's a lot of focus on the personal, who am I, how I, how I do things, uh, who I want to be. But there's also this idea that, and church kind of models this a little bit, um, how we are a community of, of people. We call it a family sometimes. So um, we may have, we may all, all of the 900 people who come here, whatever it is, not all of us probably have the same theologies. I would probably say we don't. Um, and that's okay. But as a family, we've kind of said, here are the one, here's what's important and here's kind of what we teach and where we're headed. You may think different things and that's good, but as a family, we're all saying, hey, this is kind of where we're at. This is what we do. Helping our students know that, that they're growing up in, in something that beyond just themselves is, is super important. Uh, for example, if you're in a small group and you, you include your kids in that small group so there's other adults uh, that they interact with regularly, it's so healthy. Uh, appropriate boundaries and all those kinds of things, but um, there's just there's something that's so huge uh, when our kids interact with other adults, right? That's why I think the church has to be present in identity formation. I think it's so important. Um, that doesn't mean they have to come every Sunday and when the doors are open, kids are here, but just that they feel a part of that community, which is kind of why we moved towards having the kids in the service because we wanted them to feel a part of it. We wanted other adults to be like, you know, when, um, when they walk in the door, there's some of the older folks who say, hey, Susie, how you doing? The, the stats on lasting faith past high school just skyrockets when they feel a part of that church body. It's just huge. And so figuring that out as we kind of move into a new thing in March, but it's okay, we're working on it, right? We're still going. We're not going to give up. Church body can function this way. Partnering with youth ministry, Josh and Jojo, what those guys are doing is it's just good. Uh, again, I've, youth ministry is mostly in my background. And so when they're done properly and in a healthy way, they can really help because they're so important for students 
to have a community that's outside mom and dad a little bit where mom and dad aren't kind of looking or watching and they can kind of share and talk about even mom and dad. Maybe, oh, my mom, this or that, or my dad, this or that, right? That's good and healthy. It can be a little unnerving because like, wait a minute, why aren't they? They're, they want to go over there a lot. That's good. That's okay. You know, sometimes parents are like, why are their friends so important? Because it's natural. It's really good. And so, yeah, I, I think partnering with the youth ministry is huge. And then this, this is another good thing, the five to one ratio. But five to one is basically sometime around 12, 13. You guys can kind of figure out when, you're, when your child will be ready. But five to one ratio is basically, it's kind of what we would love to get to in youth ministry, but it's really difficult. But we would, five adults to one of your kids. And so one of the exercises you guys can do, it doesn't have to be five. Uh, maybe it's two, maybe it's one, maybe it's three. But if there, if you, as you look around your, your world, where your kids are, where you guys are, church, school, sports, are there some adults that you trust, right? It could be a grandparent, uh, could be a coach, that you trust, that you could, you could ask them, hey, would you, would you spend some time between now and high school, by the time they graduate, would you spend some time with my son or my daughter? Would you take them to coffee? Would you um, go get some burgers with them? Would you take them to a Tin Caps game? Just, again, whatever's appropriate at the level of trust you guys have. Obviously, we would love our youth pastors to do that, but there's so many kids they couldn't do that. So um, this is something I'd love to see happen with our adult, which is why we're talking about it. Maybe it's not five, maybe it's two, maybe it's three, but you sit down with your son or daughter and be like, hey, are there, you know, over the next, whatever, however many years this stuff takes again. Um, and it could go fast. It could, I mean, my mentor is 80 something. He's 80, 75, 80, 75, 80, right? Now, he's old and uh, it's awesome. And I'm just so thankful. He lives in Colorado, we Skype. Uh, every six weeks or so. I've been out there to see him and he picked me up at the airport and we had breakfast together. We had lunch together. We just kind of spent, I mean, it was just awesome. And so if there's some adult individuals in your life that you guys could, you know, hey, be a little more intentional. It's really all to just asking them, hey, would you, would you grab, grab so-and-so, Zane? Hey, would you grab, would we go, go to the batting cage? Would you take Zane to the batting cages? Or just kind of lay out, here's some things we'd like to see maybe once a month. Whatever it might be, just people who love Jesus and love you guys and love your kids and you trust. I think, and they're just, they're just going to help you guys walk through this, this stage of Adelaide. You're gonna help, they're going to help get the kids across the bridge. So just, just something to think about. You don't have, this isn't, you don't have to. Um, our girls, uh, we have a couple, actually it's so cool because they're former students who were in the youth ministry who are now kind of adults. And they kind of meet with them and take them to coffee and they can vent about me and Amy and, and that's okay. <laughs> so just, I love that. It's something, um, yeah, I'd love to see explode here uh, with our parents and our, and our teenagers because I think it's huge. So any questions on that? I love that. So maybe it's one, maybe it's two, but it's good stuff. So do you guys have people in mind as I'm talking already? Yeah, maybe grandparents or... Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. It all depends on the adult. So if the adult, um, let's say the adult was in a war or has a skill that, you know, works in tractors, take Zane. If maybe there's an adult, this guy works in tractors, Zane, hey, will you come help me with this tractor? And then they can just talk, talk about life. Or just Zane can just ask questions or they don't have to talk at all.
It just kind of depends. Uh, it's, not, it's not a time to lecture. You're like, okay, here's Jesus and force law or whatever. It's just kind of, you know, that it's a unique relationship. Let, it's kind of like how God used the people to write the scriptures. Like he used their backgrounds and their histories and their personalities. And through, through them, he kind of wrote the scriptures, right? It's kind of like letting the, those adults, the five to one, whoever they are, just let them kind of be them and share like when I was a kid, you know, I did this stupid stuff and whatever the adult was really comfortable with is kind of, that's what I would say, you know? So there's no guidelines other than, hey, would you just, you know, would you just spend time with our kid and just love on him and ask him questions or just take him to ice cream, whatever, you know? Um, it could be huge. So just something to think about. And that creates this environment of, for them to form identity. Um, yeah. Is that, is that answer fair? Yeah. So, good. All right. Oh, also in this, uh, there's, there's something really cool about just maybe as a family walking through your family tree. Um, I guess here in Fort Wayne, we have one of the best, whatever that's called, genealogy, genealogy in, the, in the country. Um, so it could be, you know, go and find that. And maybe you guys know some stories like, oh yeah, Uncle Herbert, you know, he had some struggles with alcohol or what, and just kind of talking them through their family history. It could just be a really cool thing that kind of connects their identity with their family tree, kind of their roots. Um, just something to think about. Don't have, again, none of this have to, but it could be cool. So they know where their great, 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 great grandpa came from or whatever. I don't know. You know, I've seen those shows where they do that on TV with famous people and they learn stuff. You don't have to go that crazy, but um, just something else to think about. Okay, so the third thing, uh, praise the effort, not the achievement. And this is huge. Again, this is all about creating the environment of identity formation. And so usually most people, when we clap, it's because they made the basket or they won the game or scored, they got the best score on, this, on the test or whatever. Um, it's all good. It's all good. Um, but I think it's really important to not forget um, to praise the effort, right? So um, not so much the end result. So for my, my kids... And I did this when I was a student pastor too, youth pastor. Um, I really tried to focus on the students. We had a, we had a uh, star player in the youth ministry was going to play at college, big school. Everybody knew him. He was the baller. He was the famous, whatever. And <clears throat> every, every, time I, every time I'd see him and I'd give him a hug, I'd say, hey, you're a great kid. And you just happened to play ball. And I just wanted to make sure he knew I did not care that he played basketball. I didn't care if he won or scored or anything. I just wanted to know, hey, I don't, I don't care about that. I just know your heart, and I think it's great. And so we just, again, I wasn't perfect, but that's just something I try to do. With my girls, I don't look at their grade cards because I see nightly how much they're doing, how hard they're working, and I'm like, I get it, uh, great. You're, you, I'm so proud of you working so hard. I, we praise the hard work, all the hard work they're doing, the time they put in. and. They like to tell us, I got an A in the test, so that's great. I'm so, good job on the work you put in. Good job on the effort. Um, hustle was a big thing for Hannah's because we were never, like, gifted if athletically, but we could out-hustle. We had heart, right? Heart and hustle, you know? Those are the things you get when you're not that good. <laughs> hey, it works, though, you know what I mean? So that was really important for us to really praise them for that kind of stuff. Um, praise the effort, not the achievement. It's not bad to say, hey, good job, good job on the A, but... Don't forget to bring in, like, because that's character forming. That hard work is going to take them. It's just, it's just a, a value they want to have wherever they go. Hard work is just part of life. Um, and so that's really, really important. 
Yeah, it goes with grades, you guys know. Um, so, yeah. Any questions on that? Does it make sense? It's pretty easy. Nothing. Probably not saying anything new, but it's good stuff to think through it together. Uh, the fourth one is ritual. Um, yeah. This is good. Um, celebrate everything. Whatever you, an excuse to celebrate, family traditions, um, every year we do this, uh, every, every birthday you have this kind of pancake, uh, just create those things, they're, they're just kind of rich, and rituals kind of connect us to the past, like we do this ritual of baptism, right, or we do this ritual of communion, and they've been doing that communion since forever, like as the church was kind of beginning, so it kind of connects us to what Jesus said at that table, and we're kind of participating in that, and so as they go through, you know, their life, like they know like, oh yeah, I remember my fourth birthday and we had those giant pancakes. Oh, we're still doing the giant pan. Whatever those things are, just celebrate, make your own rituals, um, think through, you know, make the goofy days on the calendar. There's like a boxer day, like make that a day and you celebrate. Celebrate for no reason. Yeah. Hey, you got, you got home from school today. We're going to celebrate. Just things like that. So rituals. Oh, bedtime. I don't know if you guys have bedtime. My kids are a little past that, which is so disappointing. But for years, it was, it was always, you know, I'd be reading books with one and then go read books with the other. And it was each, each one had a different game we'd play at the, at the night. And then Amy'd yell at me because I got them all rowdy. <laughs> it's just like pretty consistently. I was an idiot. But those are good times. Stop it. Like now it's more of a, hey, night, have a great, you know, have a good sleep. Because they're like going up, they're doing their fate, blah, 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 they're girls. So <laughs> level two, I call it level two. I always yell up, good night, never land. Uh, just anyway, we like hook and stuff like that. Anyway, so ritual, those are good. Uh, number five, hard stuff. Oh, this is cute. This is huge. Not only so, but we also glorify in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us, who has been given to us. And so sometimes I think, I wish it weren't true, but suffering is a huge way that God molds and shapes us. Uh, C.S. Lewis said this, he said, pain is God's megaphone. Now with teenagers, the issues that they bring are usually like 8.8 on the Richter scale. Like everything's this big, dramatic world has ended kind of thing. And so maybe our response is, oh, it's no big deal. Oh my goodness, you're blowing this way out of proportion. Or the, my favorite is, heck, when I was a kid, <laughs> when I was a kid, we didn't have TV. Anyway, so the trick is to think about this. Uh, number one is we don't want to hide our kids from suffering. We don't want to parent in such a way that they never have to work through hard things. There's a couple of tricks. One is we want to we want to make sure we're seeing it through their through their eyes, um, because in their world a friendship ending is like the world's ended, right? So we never want to belittle their issues, but we never want to um, jump on with them and say this is the worst thing ever. We just want to empathize. We want to listen with them. We want to journey with them. So some of the ways are when they bring you something, tell me more. Can you tell me more about that? How did that make you feel? How are you feeling about that? Just great questions are such a huge tool uh, for discipleship, for mentoring. That's what Wes has taught me the most is a great question is just as good as an answer, or if not better. And Janice taught me this, uh, you know, when, when girls bring me something like this happened the other night and I, and I used it. I can't remember what 
what she said. <laughs> but it was something that was not good. I said, man, that really stinks. Really, that stinks. But you know, I think, I think this is something in the, in the category. I think you can handle this. And this is all I said. I said, that really stinks. So I identified with it. I didn't belittle or blow it up. I just said, that stinks. But I think you can handle it. I think you can handle this. I can't remember what it was, but it was something. And it, it seemed to kind of, I was kind of waiting for the, you know, volley back, but nothing came back. I'm like, oh, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep moving. <laughs> Empathizing with, with our teenagers is huge. And when we talk about empathy, we mean feeling with our young people. So we never want to be the goalie slapping all the bad stuff away. We want to we allow some bad stuff through. And stuff's going to happen that we have no control over. And so I think uh, Don Williams, who kind of, another kind of pastor mentor guy who I've met with several, several times, you know, you can't protect your kids forever, but you can prepare them for life. And so helping them deal with hard things prepares them for life. It just does. Because life's hard. You guys know. Things are going to happen to your kids. A close, a dear friend that I grew up with who was right there when I came to Jesus and has been part of um, my ministry a little bit. She passed away uh, Monday. And it was just like, she's my age. Same age as me. I've been battling cancer. And then there was some brain. It was just like, wow. I mean, you kind of knew it was... You know, it was, it was bad for a long time, but it was just like miracle after miracle kept happening. It's like, wow. And then boom. And so my kids got to kind of watch Amy and I walk through that a little bit. We it was just sad. It was just a sad thing, you know, just kind of sad. But God is good. and She's up there just chilling with Jesus. She loved Jesus. Um, anyway, so bad things are going to happen, hard things. And so, uh, yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, the sixth one. Um, oh, this is just for us as parents, is model an authentic relationship with Jesus. You kind of set the pace. You're kind of the pace car, Indy 500. It's kind of coming up. <laughs> so you guys are the pace car. Christian Smith, in his book, Souls in Transition, it was published in 2009. A couple books that are just so good. In this book, he, he, has, he did this just huge uh, study of the religious lives of of emerging adults between the ages of 18 and 22. He studied over 3,000 young people. This is massive, over, over multiple years, because I think they got them as freshmen and they came back to them as seniors um, from this, all this analysis. And the common factors for lasting faith, uh, the number one was mom and dad's faith. I mean, it was just hands down, as clear as bell. Over church, over school, where you go, Christian school is like at the bottom. Uh, youth ministry was towards the middle. I was like, what? Nah, they're doing it wrong. <laughs> but really, mom and dad was at the top. And so, and not just mom and dad, but your faith and how your faith is lived out and all of that kind of stuff. So I guess just a question to ask is, how's your relationship with God? Again, I'm not challenging. I'm not judging. I don't have cameras in your home. I don't know. <laughs> um, but just a, it's just for you guys to think, okay, how am I doing with Jesus? How's my soul with Jesus? Do, you, do your kids see you wrestle with faith or is it absent from your home or are there ever questions at the dinner table about Jesus? This is something Amy and I want to work on. We started, kind of restarted, <laughs> just having some conversations and it's, it's, it's hard because we kind of missed that habit. And we've always talked about Jesus and just various things. But now that they're in this weird teenage stuff, it's just a little different. 
And I, I tell you the truth, I mean, I've had hundreds of students come through ministry, but I've never felt so incompetent <laughs> and worthless <laughs> than I do sometimes with my own two teenagers. I mean, it's just, for us, it's been, and we knew that it was going to be hard, but I just didn't, I wasn't prepared it to be this difficult. And I love, they're great kids. I mean, there's no, nothing I would complain about, but there's some things where like, man, there's some holes that we want to try to fill. And it's like putting rebar in concrete sometimes. Because once that's solid, oh, 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 good luck. Anyway, so the book, the book that I, some of the stuff I got from one of the books was, you know, they described, are you a phony Pharisee proclaiming to love God? Um, are you a whitewashed tomb? Are you spiritually dead inside? Again, not, I'm not judging. Or are you a sincere sinner? Number, the number one problem or issue that, was, that we as parents are going to deal with raising kids whether they're one day old or 70 year old, is their sin. Uh, they sin just like we do for all, all, all of sin and for sure the glory of God. And so when we acknowledge that, hey, you know, dad sins, dad, dad messes up. Like I think I told you guys, like the, the favorite thing they loved was me telling them stories of like doing stupid things as a teenager. They just loved those stories. They always wanted more and I had plenty. <laughs> they just wanted, dad, tell us another one, tell us another one. Like there's certain things I can't tell you or at least in <laughs> detail. But I just, and I'd even tell them, like, you know, guys, sometimes when the police showed up, it was exciting until <laughs> they got out of the car, but it was exciting. And so I was just maybe too open with them, but there's just something about, you know, if you guys struggle with aspects of faith, it's okay to share that with them because if you do, chances are they do. You know, I don't, I don't have this whole Bible figured out. I just, I know Jesus loves me, but I'm not sure about it. Like they have, like we, this is kind of youth culture right now is the LGBTQ plus. I mean, homosexuality, gender identity. I mean, it's just, it's so confusing out there. And where they go to school, they have friends who are all of it. They have friends in all the categories and different religions. And uh, we just kind of talk through some of that sometimes. And I gets, I'm like, yeah, guys, I, I get confused sometimes. I don't know. You know, there's just, I try to be open. I try to maybe too open, but. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. I, I think another thing is how, how we talk about the church, you know. I usually say this to staff people because sometimes, you know, we, we kind of hear some things or know things that we don't want to know. Or there's always this thing, are we, do we complain about the church too much? Are we kind of tainting their view of the church? So Amy and I try to be careful. Um, not that there's anything wrong with Brooks. I mean, other churches <laughs> down the road. This one's perfect. Eric, this church is perfect. Casey's listening. Uh, model and authentic relationship with Jesus is a big deal. So, um, yeah, those are, those, are, those are just the ways that we can create um, an environment to help them discover their identity. So, and then on the, the other sheet I gave you, just some verses, some identity verses that you can either get creative with. You can take a note card, put it on your son's door, uh, write it on the mirror. Amy sometimes will write verses on the mirror because they're always, you know, every morning they get up, they got to do their faces and stuff, whatever, wash, clean, whatever. Girls do that stuff. I stay out of there. But, um, you know, so they see this verse. That could be a way to use those. They're just things that God has said that are true of them that'll never change. And so sometimes speaking scripture, these, you know, grab some of these scriptures at dinner. Maybe you have an identity jar and you pull one out. Hey guys, just want you to know, God says this about you. I you guys are creative. You're creative, so you do all the crafty things. Just, just any, and, it's, and it might feel cheesy, but oh, be cheesy. Be cheesy with your kids. It'll be okay. 
work at it. It's hard. I know some was like, gosh, I don't know if I could really start doing that because we haven't done it in a while. Just jump in. Like, hey, guys, I know we haven't done this in a while, and dad sucks, but we're going to do it now. And maybe we'll quit in a week or two, but we're going to give it a try. You know what I mean? Like, just let it go. There's a good things to do. So any questions about today? Uh, next week we'll get into spiritual formation, a little more deeper, how we kind of communicate the gospel, what the gospel is from their brains, I guess, stuff like that. So uh, let's see. Um, Souls in Transition, Christian Smith. It's really good. He's got another one called, I could look him up for you. I'll put a book, I'll put a biography list together and, and let you guys take a look at him. Uh, Sticky Faith is great, which is a lot of the spiritual stuff I'll pull out from next week. Let's see what else. I'll get you some books if you guys are interested in reading. Yeah. Praying for you guys. Teenagers are hard. It's just, it's just, it's a hard game sometimes. But there's a, there's an end. Hopefully they move out. <laughs> so, it might, maybe, I know yours are a little younger. It might be a little, don't forget to check the wall, the resource wall. Uh, pick your grade, grab a card. Uh, there's a little, just some stuff on there. I, I think on the card, if, if you'll notice, like weeks to graduation, to me that's so, it's just like, I have an 11th grader, so 104, I only have 104 weeks left until she's done. And it just seems like, whoa. That's not a lot at all. I need to, I need to do some stuff. <laughs> Again, they're not, they don't just like fall off to earth once they graduate, but things change and their spring breaks might be different and they're, you know, you just, we just don't know. And so, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. It's good. Just hands wide open. God's got them. We're just kind of those, like I said, somewhat flawed dispensers of grace. And we just, yeah, sometimes, yeah. Jesus take the wheel kind of thing. <laughs> Let me pray for you and then we can get kids. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the people who came. We can just talk together about our kids and raising them and doing our best to pass on faith and helping them form their identity by doing a few things we talked about tonight. And so we, we do, we trust them to you. We know that you're in control, you're God, you're good. You know things before it happens. Nothing surprises you. And so uh, we just surrender our souls and our wills to you, God. We just pray that you would allow us to have the strength and the energy and the wisdom and the discernment through your spirit to raise the kids as best we can, God. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.